When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's never been easier to communicate with people, but it's never been harder to know which platform you're supposed to communicate on. Here's a simpler solution. With call, meet, and message all in one app, RingCentral makes communication easy. With all that connectivity in the palm of your hand, you can work from anywhere with anyone at any time and never miss a beat. Because when it comes to communication, simple is better. Learn more at ringcentral.com. RingCentral, simpler communications. It's wintertime. When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Guard Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. Hello, MD Nation. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to talk to you guys about a sponsor who's going to be presenting this episode to you by The Gallery. Based out of New York, The Gallery is a curated collection of photographs from around the world. While we are unable to travel, this is a great way to bring a piece of the world to you. All prints are made from 100% recycled aluminum, giving your wall that gallery finish. Right now, The Gallery is offering our listeners 15% off their purchase by using the promo code 15 off. Just go to thegallery.com. That's T H E G A L R Y.com. So your wall will never be boring again. And now for the show. Welcome to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show. Now for your host, Dan Mater. And welcome back, MD Nation, to the show. For the second day in a row, I am your host, Dan Mater, as always. You're listening to MD's Fantasy Football Show. And we are back today talking about the best five, bus five, sleeper five, tight ends heading into your draft. So we got that in store for you. That wraps up our position drafts. And we're going to be back next week. Don't you forget with those episodes on Thursday and Friday to be determined what we're going to be talking about. I have to kind of see. might want to do an extended mailbag segment. And speaking of the mailbag segment, we do have one in today's show at the end. But you can always get on there yourself. MD Nation hotline. Just call 609-362-2480. You can leave your comment, your question, your rant, whatever the case may be. Or you can contact the show on social media at Twitter or on Facebook at Show. Or you can email the show directly, mdsfantasyfootball at gmail.com. Even if your question does not wind up getting on the show itself, it will be answered uh, nonetheless. So that way, make sure you guys are getting the best advice, all the advice that you can possibly get at all times for you. That's what we're here for. And it's draft season. 
It's what, August 28th. We are in the thick of where most of the home league drafts and even tournament league drafts are going to be happening over the next couple of weeks. September 10th is the kickoff. It is right around the corner. Can you taste it? Can you feel it? Thinking about all the things that we've had to go through to get to this point of actually having football, not only looking like it's going to start on time, but looking very promising so far. Fingers crossed, knock on wood, has actually been pretty successful, all things considered, with the COVID issues surrounding the entire world. NFL players have not been testing positive at alarming rates. I have more confidence now, not obviously, I always had confidence about the season starting, but I have more confidence now about the season possibly actually reaching its full potential than I ever have at any other point. Because I thought we were going to have way more COVID tests by now. Way more positives, I should say, by now. And it hasn't been the case, which is great. It's great news to everybody. It's great news to fantasy football owners because not only do we all want to have our drafts and watch football, but the big thing a lot of fantasy owners are, are worried about, and rightfully so, especially in these leagues that have a lot of skin in the game, is the fact that if you have a couple of players go down, if you have a certain team go down, a certain position room go down, you could be whoop, you could be SOL when it comes to being able to put out an active good lineup on a week to week basis. That's why there's been all kinds of talk about, you know, certain leagues do you have COVID spots only? Do you have how many COVID spots do you have? Do you ex- have extended benches? Do you all these different things have been putting in place to try to make up for the fact that we have to be more prepared for this season for things to go wrong than we ever have been. Which is why I'm so happy that to this point I've really been pleasantly surprised with the NFL and the NFL players doing what they need to do to not put themselves in position to contract COVID. There's been very few. There's been very few. Was I a little bit concerned like with everybody else when when we had a number of players, more players than I think we, we thought we were going to have, or at least more high-profiler players than we thought we were going to have opt out at the beginning of the season? Yeah, I was a little bit worried. But we've been good since then. The deadline came and passed. No one else has had an issue. And I'm feeling pretty good about what this season can mean for fantasy football owners. Which brings us, of course, to today's show. we got the best five, bus five, sleeper five tight ends for you guys. Now, I will preface this right away before we get to the segment. Uh, as far as the tight ends go, it's kind of like the quarterback position, right? There's only so many. You're only, I mean, you like the quarterback position, you have your top 12, tight ends, you have your top 12. You don't have two or three that you can possibly start on your, in your lineup. We all know this. So that's why, I mean, there's not going to be as many tight ends that you're just, you're talking about in a general basis when it comes to fantasy football. So I'm saying all that to say to you that our bus five is more going to be like a bus three. But we do have our five best and our five sleepers for you today, along with, of course, the mailbag segment. But before we get kicked off with that, there are some off-season notes that I want to talk to you guys about. First up, I think kind of importantly because of all the hype that was going on with Damian Harris, Sony Michelle came back to practice. Now, since he's come back to practice, and I believe that was on Tuesday, he has, Damian Harris, that is, has still been taking the majority of the first team reps, which is not surprising. I was reading a headline the other day, and they talked about that, and it seemed like people were having a reaction. We're like, oh, that settles it. Damian Harris is a starter, even though Sonny Michelle's back and healthy. Well, he just got back. He's still conditioning. He's still getting back in shape. I would be more surprised, if anything, if Sonny Michelle came in and started taking all the first-team reps right away. I think it would be more of an indictment towards Damian Harris 
then this is to Sony Michelle. It just makes sense. You still have a couple of weeks until the season starts. Why would you rush him out there? The fact that he came back at all, the fact that he's not going to be starting the season on the pup list like everybody had long feared was going to be the case is more indicative to me that they fully plan on having Sony Michelle come week one and fully plan on him making the starter. Now, what is the you know the backfield rotation to the New England Patriots? What, what does it mean? To, it's, it's a mess, and it always has been. If you're in PPR leagues, I have no problem taking James White later on. Outside of that, I don't know if you could trust Sony Michelle. I don't know if you could trust Damian Harris. We know Rex Burkhead is probably going to get worked in. The one thing I will say is that the return of Sony Michelle probably means the release of Lamar Miller within the next week or so, I would imagine. Because he was purely brought in as a depth player in case Michelle was going to have to go on the pup list. But that's no longer going to be the case. I fully anticipate Sonny Michelle being the starting running back once he's back and ready to go. I fully anticipate him being the starting running back come week one. But it's still in New England backfield. This was never a backfield I wanted a lot of pieces of. I, in fact... I'm only really talking about this so much now because, one, it's, it's news. But, two, because I really haven't talked about the New England backfield all that much this summer because there's not much to talk about. Sonny Michelle is my RB33, but I literally have no shares of him. Damian Harris is my RB54, and, of course, I have no shares of him. Of course, in half-point PPR st- uh, scoring formats. We know they're going to get rotated in. There's nothing, there's no upside here. The only person that's upside is James White. And, and really, you're only taking him because he has a floor to begin with. You're just taking him for the receiving work, which I do believe will be there. Now, will it be at the same clip as when Tom Brady was there? No, that's why I don't think he quite has the same ceiling or quite has the same value than when Tom Brady was there. And I can't, I'm hard pressed to understand why anybody would argue with that. I mean, yes, Cam Newton checks the ball down a little bit more within the confines of this offense. James White's still going to be utilized. I'm not saying that, but his usage, his overall volume in the passing game is not going to be the same level as what it was with Tom Brady. So I have to take that into consideration, too. This is one of those backfields where Michelle's going to have to get drafted. James White's going to have to get drafted. But I'd rather find out what this backfield is going to be when we move forward then take a chance on it in your drafts. There's nothing to like. And Michelle coming back now in practice with a couple of weeks still left, just muddies the waters all that more because who knows what their plans with Damian Harris are going to be. So it's just a backfield that, frankly, if you're listening to MD Nation, you're part of MD Nation, I would advise you just stay away from. There are so many other committees and situations with guys that have more value that you can take later who have much higher ceilings and are part of committees that actually make sense, are part of committees that are actually clear and laid out for you. Zach Moss is a big one who jumps to my mind right away. He's a guy who's been going into double-digit rounds, and yet we know he's going to split time with Devin Singletary, and we know... That because he can catch the ball, because he is a little bit bigger, may get some goal line situations, there's a ceiling to his game. On top of us knowing that he's going to get utilized in a particular way to at least start the season, and that could grow from there. And that's the guy who's going later than Michelle, going later than Harris, going later than James White, going later than all those guys. 
I'd rather take shots on guys like that. I'd rather take shots on guys like Justin Jackson, who we talked about a little bit in yesterday's show. Because it's pretty clear now that he's going to be the number two back for the Chargers. According to the comments of Anthony Lynn. I'd rather have a guy like Justin Jackson who has huge upside and huge big play making ability. Who I know as the second running back is going to get probably 8 to 12 touches a game. Because Austin Eckler's not getting Austin Eckler's not getting 20 carries and, and 7 receptions every week. There's other guys to take here. There's other guys with better value at the end of the day. But it is interesting that Sony Michelle comes back now and that does change uh, quite a bit. Next up, Joe Mixon, as far as the offseason though, Joe Mixon dealing with migraines. So there was a report going around, or at least a rumor going around, I should say, about whether or not Joe Mixon was using a migraine excuse as his way to hold out without having to hold out. Because as we all know, with the new CBA, it makes it very, very difficult for players to be able to afford to hold out because the fines for missing practices are no longer waivable. They have to pay those fines. And they're like, I think, I believe it's $50,000 a practice or $50,000 a day. Quite a bit of money. So they have to pay that now. The whole, you know, accruing for free agency situation on top of it. So they have to at least be there at camp. So a lot of people have, you know, have talked about, have been skeptical, have been throwing the idea out there that players who want to hold out the new way that they're going to be able to hold out is to say, I have an injury, I can't go, to be in the facility, to be at training camp, but then just sitting on the sideline watching the practice and refusing to go and, to go and practice, basically. Which very well maybe wind up being the case with some people, but I, still, I keep hearing rumors about Dalvin Cook, and I keep hearing rumors about Joe Mixon. And here's the thing about Joe Mixon. This whole thing is just a rumor as far as his contract situation goes. From all actual indications from team sources and Joe Mixon's camps and, of course, in the front office, is that they're working, they're actively working towards a long-term contract, but there is no wink-wink holdout going on with Joe Mixon. So nobody who's actually in the know is suggesting that there's a holdout going on. It was simply a rumor circulating around. And it's very important that you guys know, watching this show or listening to this show on your favorite podcast app, that you are aware that it was merely a rumor that was getting circulated in the sports media as far as Joe Mixon holding out. The migraines are a very real thing, and they're hopeful he's going to be back soon. But the holdout is not a real thing. It's nothing more than speculation. So keep that in mind, because when we're going to this weekend, we're going into a lot of drafts, a lot of people are going to be like, oh, should I cool on Joe Mixon? And what I want you guys to be is in a situation where if it looks like you're in a league that they are talking about cooling on Joe Mixon... Do not be afraid to draft him, especially if you're going to get him in the second round and get him at value. Remember, here at MD's Fantasy Football Show, I have him ranked in the first round. Because it's a guy who's staring down a workhorse load in a better offensive situation. And at the second half of last year, showed you what he could do if you just decide to hand this guy the ball. I don't see why that's going to change this season. And they're not going to mess around with Genevieve Bernard early on like they were last, last year. Plus, you know, Joe Mixon's just a superstar talent waiting to break out. And this this should be the year, third year, this should be the year he breaks out. And the same thing with Dalvin Cook. I, Dalvin Cook's already come out and said he's going to play on his rookie contract. And even after that, there still seem to be rumors in the media talking about Dalvin Cook 
holding out. That's that's not the case. That's not what's happening. He's already talked about playing on his rookie contract. He's not holding out. So to squash any maybe resembling or residual, I should say, uh, rumors or fear there when it comes to Dalvin Cook as far as a holdout situation goes. If you still worry about him getting injured this season, I don't blame you. But he's still our number five guy overall. Last offseason note that I want to talk about for today's show at the very least. David Montgomery out two to four weeks. Of course, with the groin injury, we were all worried. It could have been more. We were all worried. when You heard non-contact injury. You heard card off the field. Everybody in the world who wasn't at the Bears practice was thinking ACL. Wasn't the case. Wound up being a groin injury with a two to four week timetable. So it's not a severe groin injury either. Could even be back for week one. I've talked about this at the running back position, especially in the drafts. And when we're talking about these, you know, we go through these mock drafts that we've had the past few weeks. I've talked about how once you hit a certain point at the running back position, there is a big drop off because you lose all the guys who have workhorse back capabilities. And now you enter running backs by committee territory. And that point happens with David Johnson and David Montgomery in about the fifth round in almost every scoring format league. So David Montgomery, even though I'm not big on him, is the cutoff of guys that I expect a heavy volume for this season. Tariq Cohen will be involved. He'll be involved in the passing game and everything like that, but he's still going to be used primarily as a gadget player where they use him all throughout the field. It's not always going to be the running back on in third down situations. He might be lining up as a slot receiver in those situations. So that's why we look at David Montgomery as a guy who's in a workhorse role, even though Tariq Cohen, who's technically the backup running back, will be getting a decent amount of work in his own right. And probably, most likely, a little more work this season than he did last year. Because they recognize they need some playmakers. They need somebody out there who can who can, who can can make a play in space. Because they don't have anybody who can do that outside of Allen Robinson. They don't. I'm never impressed with Anthony Miller. He's not that kind of guy. He's a possession wide receiver. And really, if he's on a good team, a third receiver at best. So they need to be able to utilize three Cohen in that way a little bit more. Now, as far as David Montgomery's injury goes, groins worry me because groin is it's not it's not really an injury that goes away. Kind of like hamstring issues, where it's just even once you get over it, it's always something that can kind of crop back up within a few weeks. And here's why it worries me maybe more so with David Montgomery than it would necessarily with another veteran, and that is because he has a lot to prove this year. I mean, I don't know, I don't, I don't know why. After his rookie season, yes. Was he inefficient? Absolutely. But that entire offense was crap last season. So I don't understand why there's a lot of people, and it seems like even around the Chicago Bears organization, who are acting as if David Montgomery can't show them a big leap this season, that he can't be their guy moving forward. When I really don't blame him for the inefficiencies of last year either. Offensive line was a mess. Trubisky was a mess. The whole offense, besides Allen Robinson, was a mess last year. Matt Nagy was a mess. But he's going into this season with the narrative being, you have to prove it. Otherwise, it's maybe the last time you get a shot to start for us. Which means he's going to be pressing. Which means he's going to be trying too hard. And in a situation where he has an injury that may put in jeopardy him being able to start the season off at week one, maybe even week two, He's going to press that much harder to come back from that injury possibly too soon. 
and groin injuries, like I said, are injuries that don't generally go away. So while this may not wind up being a severe injury, I already had my question marks about David Montgomery. He was already somebody that I did not feel like I needed to own in any in any league. And this is kind of just cements the point of draft your running backs early so you can kind of skip over the David Johnson, David Montgomery territory and take guys later on to add to your depth at your running back position this year. Am I still going to have him ranked in the fifth round? Am I still going to have him valued there? Yeah, because at the end of the day, this guy is in line to get a certain amount of volume. That's going to give him a certain amount of fantasy production. But there's still some guys who I would I avoid even if they wind up falling to me as a value. Now, if David Montgomery, let, let's put it this way. If David Montgomery winds up falling to me, let's say, in the eighth round or ninth round, then yeah, I'm pulling the trigger there. There's always, there's always a price tag when it comes to value, but that, that's, that's not going to happen. Just so you guys are aware there. That's going to wrap up the off-season notes for what we want to talk about right now. Of course, there's always a ton of things going on, and if you want to keep up with the player news going on in the fantasy and the NFL world, make sure you're following me on Twitter, at BellyUpMDFFShow, because I have constant player notifications coming out for you guys. Always fantasy-relevant tweets. Always things to help you with your roster. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, before we move on to our top five tight ends, I do want to talk to you guys about a sponsor of the show called the DFS Doctors. Daily fantasy sports experts guiding you to be a winner in the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB. The DFS doctors are a team with seven plus years of experience in DFS who conduct comprehensive data analysis using advanced metrics to provide you with high quality FanDuel and DraftKings lineups. Their goal is for you to win big without having to spend hours researching yourself. Now, if you use the promo code BellyUp, you'll get 15% off your next subscription. So check them out at the DFS doctors on Twitter or at CouchMaxSports.com. Now, let's get into it. Now, let's talk about our top five tight ends. This is key. This is key. Tight end, I talked about this in the mock draft a little bit, actually, yesterday, too. And tight ends at one position where I either want one of the top guys, so I don't have to take another tight end, kind of like quarterback, or I don't have to take another quarterback and I just have one guy that I know I'm going to start every single week and I'll just worry about picking up somebody to cover them for the bye week. Or I want to take one really late with the idea knowing fully well that I'm going to be streaming all season long in that position. It's one or the other. I don't want the mid-tier guys. I don't. Because so often in the tight end position, along with the quarterback position, the mid-tier guys could go either way. They could be guys who are in the top five, in the top six, or they could be guys who wind up being, you know, in the back end after the 16th and be a, a low end tight end too, because it's such a volatile position once you get outside of the top range of tight ends. So that's why I like to go either one way or the other. I generally speaking don't like to aim for the middle when it comes to the tight end position. That's why I think looking at this is so crucial because also taking tight ends early 
can have an effect on what your draft can be, what your roster construction will be. If you take a Travis Kelsey or a George Kittle in the second or third round, it might not be a bad move. You'll have you'll definitely have the advantage at the tight end position over most, over pretty much all, except for the other person who has the Kelsey or the other Kittle. But that means you're giving up a high-end RB2. It means you're giving up a possible wide receiver one. And you have to be okay with the roster construction that will then follow by doing that. So I generally speaking, I like to go tight end later. Unless George Kittle, Travis Kelsey fall to me at a value. But generally speaking, I like to go tight end later. I had probably Mark Andrews in almost every single league I was in last year. Except for maybe two. I'd rather take guys like that in situations that I know have some ceiling potential. And I took, by the way, I took Mark Andrews with the idea that if he didn't pan out, I was going to stream. It wasn't like I called that for a fact that he was definitely going to finish in the top three. I felt good about him as a sleeper and what his possibilities could be within that offense, knowing that he was going to be the main red zone threat, knowing that he was going to be the main pass catcher. But I also took him late knowing that if he didn't pan out, I could very well stream to other options. That's the idea. So that's why the sleeper segment of this show is going to be very, very important. But let's talk about the top five guys. Let's talk about those guys that are probably going to go within the first six, seven rounds in your drafts. Starting off with number five, I do have Darren Waller. This guy is kind of a pain, right? And I mean a pain in the sense of he leaves a sour taste in your mouth when you talk about him being a top five tight end. You know the volumes there. You know the talents there. But the fact that he was so underutilized in the red zone is really is really concerning. You had Foster Moreau. It was, it was almost as if the tight end position for the Raiders was set up like a Ryan Matthews, Mike Tolbert situation back in the day where Ryan Matthews would get all the work between the 20s, Darren Waller would get all the work between the 20s, and all of a sudden in the red zone, here comes Mike Tolbert. Here comes Foster Moreau. Guy had five touchdowns. He didn't play outside the 20-yard line. And it doesn't make any sense that Darren Waller wouldn't get red zone work. He's still a big target. He's still an athletic guy. He still gets separation. It just didn't work out that way. So that's one of the things when you're, when you're looking at Darren Waller, you kind of have to remind yourself, look, those, touch, those touchdowns are going to come. It was abnormally low, especially for the amount of volume that he was getting. But even the, the player talent that we're talking about here was abnormally low. And I can't see a reason, a logical explanation as to why Foster Moreau would, would continue to steal touches from Darren Waller. Other than Gruden just does things Gruden's way, that doesn't, doesn't make any sense to me and I can't explain. Which, that in and of itself isn't within the realm of possibility, of course, with Darren Waller, which is why he's number five and, and maybe not up there with the Mark Andrews, the Zach Urzes of the world at the three and the four. But I have to imagine that he's going to get more involved in the red zone this season. And in general speaking, the Raiders are going to have more weapons than they did. They're still not going to have a true featured wide receiver this year. I mean, we'll see what happens with what Henry Ruggs turns into. We'll see what Brian Edwards turns into. But going into this season, they're not going to have a true featured wide receiver. They're really their best pass catcher, who has the most chemistry with their quarterback situation already, should be Darren Waller. 
And looking at my numbers now, I have him projected for about 89 targets, 68 receptions, 835 yards, and about five touchdowns. Those should be very doable numbers. And they, of course, they take into factor regression from last season and a decent amount of regression at that. The only thing I have him getting better at is the touchdowns, which it just makes sense that he would. And that's why he's our number five guy. Now our number four tight end. I feel like I can't talk about our number four tight end without mentioning who our number three tight end is and why those two are three and four. So we're going to talk about both of them at the same time. And that's Mark Andrews at four and Zach Ertz at number three. Most fantasy experts have this flip-flopped. Most of them have it with Ertz at four and Andrews at three. I'm not going to argue one one I'm not well, I shouldn't say that. I'm not going to argue full heartedly, full throatly if you have Mark Andrews ranked ahead of Zach Ertz. Obviously. I mean, we're we're nitpicking here. But here's my thing about why I have Ertz one step in front of Andrews, even though, yes, Hayden Hurst has ex- has exited. Mark Andrews snaps should be going up. Another year as the guy. He still should be the main red zone weapon. There's still a very likely scenario that he's still the number one target of the team at the end of the day. But it's hard to imagine this offense putting up exactly the same numbers that it had a season ago. And Mark Andrews getting more snaps. How much does that really matter for him? He was third on the team in tight end snaps and was still the number one pass catching weapon that the Ravens had period. So I don't know if him getting extra snaps really makes me feel like, Oh, that's going to be that much more volume for him. It doesn't, it doesn't really leave me with that feeling. Cause when you really examine it, when they were actually looking to throw the ball, when they're actually looking to utilize the tight end in the passing situations, or when they're looking to utilize the tight end in the red zone, Andrews was in in all those situations that you would want him out there to be to be utilized for fantasy purposes anyway. So getting some extra snaps to what block to risk getting injured. This is not a guy who has been fully healthy his entire career so far. He's had gotten nicked up here and there. So I don't know if the extra snaps thing is really a thing for me. The reason, though, that I wind up having Zach Ertz go in front of him because he's still in line for a great situation and great production. It's because of the wide receiver position for the Philadelphia Eagles. There's no... Zach Ertz next to Travis Kelsey might wind up being the most heavy volume targeted tight end this season. And he, he has been heavily volume targeted last few years. I don't know why this year changes. If Alshon Jeffrey's going to start on the pup list, and we all know that Sean Jackson has an X amount of number of games in him before he's going to go down for the season... Jalen Rager is a rookie. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, we still don't know if he is anything at all because he showed us nothing in his rookie season. And frankly, training camp has been, eh, coach speak as far as positivity goes. There hasn't really been anything too exciting, too revealing about him and his development. Well, then the two guys that I think are going to be the best pass catchers are Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard for the Philadelphia Eagles, or at, least, at the very least, the most dependable. Especially when or if, mostly when, something happens to Deshaun Jackson. I still have him for 132 targets, 96 receptions, over 1,000 yards, and about eight touchdowns. That's putting up 
wide receiver two numbers, high end wide receiver two numbers. The volume's still going to be there with Zach Ertz. And if you thought, if you thought that they were going to be looking to move on from Zach Ertz and make Dallas Goddard their new face of the tight end position for the Philadelphia Eagles moving forward, guess again, because guess what? The Eagles initiated talks with Zach Ertz about offering him a contract extension, meaning that he is still in their plans for the future, meaning that they are not going to just turn over and say, hey, Dallas Goddard, come take over. They're just going to utilize both of them. But they're not looking to replace Zach Ertz, clearly, with that move of talking about contract extension with him. Even if nothing winds up getting done, the fact that they're talking about it means they're not planning on moving on from Zach Ertz. So all of this talk about Dallas Goddard usurping him at some point this season goes out the window outside of an injury. I think the receiver position is just as frail for the Philadelphia Eagles as it was a season ago. He's going to get volume. And that's why I have him just that one step ahead of Mark Andrews. Because even though Mark Andrews could be the top pass catcher for the Baltimore Ravens because they're such a run-first team, his volume will still not stack up to that of his Ertz. That's the only reason I nitpick. Otherwise, you can't go wrong with either one. We could talk about number two and number one probably in the same breath, too, with George Kittle and, and uh, Travis Kelsey. Everyone has them as their one and two. I have them as my one and two. There's really no reason not to have them as the one and two. I mean, George Kittle especially. Look at what's going on right now with the 49ers wide receiver position. They, they're signing Kevin White. Tavon Austin, J.J. Nelson off the street just to try to get some bodies in there. Brandon Ayuk, he may be back for week one, but he's week to week. And even if he is back for week one, he's a rookie who's going to miss a couple more weeks of practice. So even though he was looking promising from all reports over the first couple of weeks, how ready is he really going to be to face NFL defenses? After Brandon Ayuk, it's a slew of practice squad Depth bench player would be wide receiver fours on a decent team, guys. Kendrick Bourne, Trent Taylor, Dante Pettis, Tavon Austin, J.J. Nelson, Kevin White. Nobody. That's what They have nobody. The only other pass catcher, in my estimation, especially early on in the season until Debo Samuel comes back or until Brandon Ayuk is fully ready to go, it's going to be the guy they just signed a couple weeks ago called Jordan Reed as the other tight end. I'm telling you right now, especially with the wide receiver position that was set up the way it is, they are going to be playing a lot. They already do play a lot of two tight end sets, but they're going to be playing a lot of two tight end sets to open up this season. We're going to see Kittle and Jordan Reed on the field quite a bit. And Jordan Reed, who just made his practice debut a few days ago, for all indication, looked good. Now we know, yes, it's probably a matter of time before he gets in concussion. But until then, from an athletic standpoint, there's never been a question there. He hasn't sustained a lot of lower body injuries. He still has his explosion. So he's looking good. I mean, that's, to me, especially early on in the season, that's the only guy who can really threaten him. And then even when Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk come back, we still know George Kittle's the number one guy. But Kittle could be looking at a significant tick up in volume at the beginning of the season that we weren't anticipating originally. And if the rumors are true that Jimmy Garoppolo is not second-guessing himself coming off that ACL injury anymore and stepping up into the pocket and not worrying about getting hit as much, which is what the indications so far in training camp have been, then there's a one could surmise that he may be more aggressive. And if he's more aggressive, then that will help out George Kittle too. 
this is all just to say that George Kittle obviously should be the number two. And Travis Kelsey obviously should be the number one. I mean, Travis Kelsey puts up borderline wide receiver one numbers every single year. Patrick Holmes, Andy Reid, Kansas City Chiefs. I don't know how much more than that we got to really talk about it. I think the only thing if you want to discuss is, is it worth taking Travis Kelsey in the second round? When it comes to roster construction, I would say yes. If you really want to, if you want to make, if you have a tight end in, in your league, and I play in some leagues that don't, but if you if you have a tight end in your league and you want to get just that big advantage at a particular position, taking Travis Kelsey is worth it because you're getting a guy who's going to give you wide receiver one type of numbers at the tight end position. He's going to give you an advantage at that position every single week. There's plenty of wide receiver depth. We've talked about that ad nauseum on this show, how much wide receiver depth there is later on. So you still should be okay there. I think the only question is, is that are your running backs going to stock up or stack up to everybody else's? But if you take Travis Kelsey in the second round, he went running back in the first round, running back in the third round, you should also wind up walking away and being okay there too. And we have some guys in the fourth round, a James Conner, uh, a Mark Ingram, guys like that, who we really value there in the fourth round. So it just depends on how you want your roster construction to be. How how good do you want that wide receiver one or how good do you want that RB2 on your team to be comparative to having a Travis Kelsey at the tight end position instead? I think that's the only question you ask yourself as a fantasy football owner. And we haven't ranked as far as the overall... We have him ranked as 16 overall. So I'm telling you, if you're in that mid-second round, he's got the value. Pull the trigger. If, if that's what you want to do. If that's how you want to approach your roster construction for your league this year. It's not going to hurt you. <laughs> we'll put it that way. It's not, it's not going to hurt you. But before we move on to our bus five or what's really our bus three because i didn't really have five tight ends that i thought were could even be overvalued candidates let alone uh bus candidates here i do want to talk to you guys about another sponsor of the show we haven't talked about them in a while actually and, and they're called prop me and what prop me is they are a new innovative gaming platform and are really the first of its kind prop me makes betting from person to person more easy than ever designed for new and experienced gamblers alike using straightforward prop bets that can literally be created on anything. You want to bet on what that next play will be? Then create a prop. You want to bet on who's going to win that game of beer pong? Well, then create a prop. It takes hanging out with your friends to a whole new level. So join today by downloading the Prop Me app or go to PropMeLLC.com and join. It's a lot of fun, especially with the football season coming up. There's going to be a lot of prop bets you're going to be able to do. It's free to use. You can customize it so that way you guys can, you and your friends can kind of put your own stakes on it, let's say. You don't necessarily have to go through, you don't have to go through, you know, convenience fees and, and, and money fees and withdrawal fees and all that stuff. They're, they're really good. It's a lot of fun to use. Now, moving to our bus three, aka bus five, bus five segment, but bus three. Number three. I don't want to talk about this guy too much because between this show and the Belly Up Fantasy Live show that you can see on Tuesday nights at 8.30 on Twitter or on Facebook at Belly Up Fantasy, I talked about this guy a lot this year, and that's Mike Kosicki. And the reason I keep talking about him or keep being asked to talk about him is because I seem to be on the opposite end of everybody else when it comes to Mike Kosicki being a sleeper tight end. I don't believe he is. In fact, I think his hype about him becoming a sleeper tight end has amplified him so much to the point where he is getting completely overdrafted. And people are 
have way too high of expectations when it comes to Mike Gesicki. Right now, his ADP is tight end 14. I have him ranked at tight end 18. I'm going to go through it one more time with you guys. One, one more time for MD Nation, just so you guys know why we are not expecting a big season on Mike Gesicki in a half-point PPR league. Mike Gesicki, at no point in his career, was ever putting up great production until the second half of last year. He was not being targeted at an enormous clip, even last year, until Preston Williams went down. After Preston Williams went down, then all of a sudden, you already had Albert Wilson was gone, Jakeem Grant was gone, so all you had left of any competency on the field was Devontae Parker and Mike Isicki. Now, Parker was doing his thing. He was getting his targets, of course. But then Mike Isicki wound up being that second pass catcher, and it was all out of volume. That's the thing. It was all out of volume. He's getting eight, nine receptions in these games where he's getting over these 100 yards. But the fact is, when you, when you, go, when you look at the rankings, when you look at the, the advanced statistics, you'll see that Mike Isicki was below average on separation on his, on his routes run. And he's below average on his yards after catch. And yet I'm constantly told how great of an athlete Mike Gesicki is. But if he's such a great athlete, then the things that he should be excelling at, being a great athlete, he does not. He's below average. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready. This was also an offense that was throwing the ball an ungodly amount because they didn't have an NFL-competent running game. You have Matt Bree, you have Jordan Howard, you have what should be a little bit better of an offensive line. It's going to be a competent running game. They're not going to throw the ball at the same clip that they did last season either, along with Preston Williams being back. And from all reports, looking great and looking good for week one. And is just coming back kind of Manuel Sanders style where he's just coming back sooner than expected or at least in better shape than expected for this point in his recovery, and he's good to go. They brought in Chester Rogers, but I actually think is kind of a sneaky little pickup as a slot receiver to replace Albert Wilson, who opted out. But I think Chester Rogers is a competent slot receiver, along with having Devontae Parker, Preston Williams. Well, I had the last caveat that I talked about before, Chan Gailey does not have a history of utilizing the tight end at any point in his offensive coordinating career, especially at any point with having Ryan Fitzpatrick as a starting quarterback. Is part of that because he didn't have a great tight end to use? Yet part of that is 
But the other part of it, he also gets brought in those situations where there aren't great tight ends to use because his offense doesn't utilize one anyway. And I just keep going back to this. You want a, you want a prime example of a coach who was talking about, like, well, he doesn't really utilize a tight end, but he's never had a good a tight end as this one. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about O.J. Howard and Bruce Arians. Did Bruce Arians suddenly utilize O.J. Howard because he didn't have as good of a tight end at any point in his career last year? Was O.J. Howard utilized? Were, were O.J. Howard fantasy owners happy with the production that they got? At? No, they dropped him after week four. If your offensive system is set up to run a particular way, you don't suddenly... Some of these... I, sh- I shouldn't say you don't automatically, but some of these coaches have a hard time adjusting their offensive system they've been running for so many years to reflect the personnel that they now have. There aren't too many coaches out there who are the New England Patriots who will actually adjust the personnel that they have at their disposal. A lot of guys want to go in there and run their system come hell or high water. Chan Gailey's one of those guys. So unless you're going to tell me that instead of using utilizing him as a tight end, they're going to use him as the wide receiver four, then maybe he has a chance. But unless they do that, and I don't think they will, I think people are going to be really disappointed if you're taking Mike Kosicki as a sleeper and you wind up mm, dropping him after week three. So that's why he's my number three bust. Just to give you some numbers here before before moving on, you know, I have him for about... 83 targets, 54 receptions, 641 yards, and three touchdowns. Just to give you an idea of where we have him at. Our second bust is Hunter Henry. Now, I want to clarify that I like Hunter Henry. I like his talent. I wish he could stay healthy. I do. For a guy who's going as the ADP, the tight end six, we have him ranked 12th. I don't understand why he's going as a tight end six. Did Charles Clay have a good year with Tyrod Taylor? Yeah, I'm not saying the tight end position is not going to be targeted in his offense. It will be. But when's the last time Hunter Henry has played a significant amount of games to to equate that value that you're drafting him? If you're, tight, if you're drafting him at tight end six, it means you're drafting him probably within the first eight rounds. You're drafting a guy who at best, at best, will play 12 to 13 games this season, most likely. We haven't projected for 13 because I like to be generous when it comes to injuries, but let's be real. Even if he hit that number, that would be a significant improvement over what we've seen over Hunter Henry over the past few years. Will he be involved in the offense while he's out there? Will Tyrod Taylor target the tight end, especially in the... Yeah. But you're drafting this guy in the top eight rounds. He, he doesn't belong there. He belongs in double-ditch rounds. He belongs back in the territory of the Jared Cooks and the Janu Smiths. He should be a guy who's more on the sleeper end of things. Not going in the top six of tight ends. This offense in general is not going to be throwing the ball nearly as much as they had the past few seasons with Tyrod Taylor at their quarterback. Anthony Lynn is going to be turning it over more the offense that he ran in Buffalo rather than the offense that he's been running with Phillip Rivers. This offense is not, even though the coaching staff stays the same, this offense is not going to look the same. I don't know if people just aren't taking that into consideration or what, what the case may be, but Hunter Henry staying healthy enough to be the tight end six? I mean, I thought people had hated Evan Ingram because of his injury rose. Hunter Henry, I think, is more fragile than Evan Ingram is. So I, I that's the one I don't get. It's mostly due to injury, but that's the one I don't really understand why he's going so high 
when there's so many question marks about the offense, how they're going to be running, what kind of volume is going to be in the passing game, and then there's so many questions about whether or not this is a guy who can actually stay healthy for an elongated period of time. Next up, we got Tyler Higby, who's our number one bus candidate of this segment. I felt kind of dirty about this because I actually like Tyler Higby, and I do believe he's going to be the starting tight end over Gerald Everett this season. I think he is going to be the main pass catcher at the end of the day. But his ADP of tight end seven is too high. It It's too high. And I'm kind of going back and forth with what I think Sean McVay is going to do. And that's kind of been one of the big things. Is Sean McVay going to run more two tight ends? That's like he did towards the end of the year. In which case, really utilize Tyler Higby quite a bit. Or is he going to go back to utilizing more three wide receiver? I think he's going to try to do both. But I think he's going to try to get back to his roots too. Because last year just didn't look like the Rams. Yeah, bad offensive line. You know, players not playing up to expectations, but also the play calling. Sean McVay himself didn't look like the same guy, wasn't calling plays the same way. So while he might have come on to something, and while I think he is going to adapt when it comes to the running game, adapt an identity similar to the 49ers, or at least try to copy that in some areas, I do think this is a guy who wants to kind of get back to his basics of utilizing his three receiver sets, utilizing his levels on the field, getting back to what worked. So I say that because when they don't go to tight end sets, Tyler Higby is going to be asked to stay in the block a lot because that offensive line didn't improve. It's one of the big reasons why I don't really want to touch the Rams' backfield no matter who it is. The offensive line did not improve at all. Whitworth's a year older, and they did nothing to address it. So he's going to have to come in the block a lot unless they're running two tight end sets. And then even then, you still have Gerald Everett, who's more of a pass catcher anyway. But there's a, I have a lot of questions about how this Rams offense is going to go. And I'm, and I'm not even a guy of the, of the belief, like I said, that I think Tyler Higby is the starter over Gerald Everett. So I'm not sitting here saying I think Gerald Everett's going to come in and, and take all his work away again. I, re, I have more than a two-second memory. I can remember last year when Gerald Everett came back healthy at the end of the season and was usurped by Tyler Higby. He was there. He was healthy. He was there. It was Tyler Higby who was getting utilized, not Joe Everett. And at a much better clip, at a much more efficient clip than Joe Everett ha- ever had been. So the idea that Joe Everett's going to come back, oh, well, he was hurt. That's no. That wasn't actually the key because if you actually watched the last four to five games of the season last year. So I remember that. So that's not my reason why I'm not big on Tyler Higby. I just think this is a guy who should be valued more towards his floor than towards his ceiling. And if you're valuing him at ADP 7, you're telling me you're valuing him at his ceiling. And I say there's still too many question marks amongst this offense, how they're going to look, what their offensive line is going to be like, for me to be sitting here and saying, you know what, give me Tyler Higby as a top 10 tight end for sure. For sure. No way. The big key is going to be the touchdowns. If he can be utilized in the red zone with, with frequency then there's a very good chance he winds up being a top 10 tight end. But if it's mostly the running game, it's them going through receivers, mostly them using Cooper Cup, which has happened in the past as well, well, then he's going to lose a lot of value. That wraps up our, our busts. Like you said, and with those busts, all of them were more overvalued candidates, I would say, than busts. But nobody there 
if you took a Higby, if you took a Hunter Henry, if you if you took a Mike Gesicki, they're 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 not going to make or break your league for the entire year. Rarely taking a tight end is it ever going to make or break your entire year, unless you took a Travis Kelsey or George Kill early and and maybe they got injured for a significant amount of time, because that would heavily affect your roster construction. But rarely is a tight end ever going to have the impact of actually being able to ruin your season anyway to begin with. So they're really all just overvalued candidates rather than bust candidates. Because there's only three, we're going to go ahead right into the sleeper five that I have for you guys. This is where you can win your leagues. This is where your roster construction can go to the next level if you're able to take a tight end later on in drafts and be able to play him week every, every single week to week, not, be, not have to stream, and still have an advantage over most of the people in your league at that position. This is where you can, t- this is where you can take your team to the next level. Some of these guys I'm going to talk to you about, though, are really good for best ball and tournament leagues. And, and it's becoming a more and more prominent thing, so I do want to talk about it a little bit more and more, especially when we're in the pre-draft process when it comes to like best ball tournaments and stuff. So some of the tight ends that we're going to talk to you about, especially uh, five and three, are guys that I think tournament-wise would be very interesting to have. So our number five guy is Jay Sternberger. To be clear, I am not a big Jay Sternberger fan. I think he's nothing more than a split-out tight end who's not overly athletic, doesn't really blow me away off the charts. I don't think he's really that big of a playmaker but and doesn't really block well. But I think he's a solid pass catcher in an offense with Aaron Rodgers that doesn't really have a trusted target outside of Devontae Adams. The reason he's my fifth sleeper is because I was shocked when doing the research that He's actually, his ADP is tight end 31. That's a little low. We have him ranked at tight end 21, so there's a significant difference there. This is a guy that, like I said, like I'm talking about. You're in those Scott Fish Bowl leagues. You're in the best ball leagues, but you're in tight end premium leagues. Taking Jay Sternberger as a guy off the 19th round in your bench, because we're, we're talking 10, 12 half-point PPR leagues here. He's not getting drafted. Even at our rank of 21, he's not going to get drafted. He is a guy that I think could be an, uh, an option streamer, though. He is a guy I think is going to be worked in the red zone. So that's why I like him in those best ball tournament leagues later on. If you want to take that backup tight end and make sure you have a little, a little upside pop. Remember, again, we assume that the second pass catcher is going to be Alan Lazard, but time and time again, outside Devontae Adams, since Jordy Nelson has left, there hasn't been a, a pass catcher that is really that trustworthy with Aaron Rodgers. It could be anybody. And I like to go back and I like to watch film. And the one thing I watched film on the past couple of years with the Green Bay Packers is that Jimmy Graham was a shell of himself. I mean, like beyond a shell of himself. And I say that, I make that point to say this because it looked to me like Aaron Rodgers really wanted to be able to utilize Jimmy Graham more. I mean, he would target him in double coverage. He would target him in triple coverage. He would target him in the red zone back corner come hell or high water. Even though Jimmy Graham just flat out could not get open anymore, and why the Bears paid him $8 million is a different conversation for another day. He wanted to utilize Jimmy Graham. I think he's going to want to utilize Jay Sternberger because he is a competent athletic tight end who can catch the ball. And someone's going to have to emerge as a second pass catcher down the field. 
I think there's just as good of a shot that could be Sternberger, who's going to be starting for them, rather than the, the rotating carousel that could be Alan Lazard, Marquise Valdez-Scantling, and an Aquanimus State Brown. I think he's going to wind up having more rapport with him when they get inside the 20. So there's a little bit of upside there, and I was just surprised that his ADP was as low as it was. But again, we're talking best ball leagues, talking deep leagues, we're talking tournament leagues. Nothing more than a streamer when it comes to 12-point, half-point PBR leagues. So our Titan 4 is more of a guy that we're talking about for redraft leagues as, as a sleeper, and that's Blake Jarwin. Again, another guy I'm not a big fan of as a player. I'm not a big fan of his talent. He's an athletic guy, but this is a guy who's who's kind of like Mike Kosicki. Why I'm not a big fan of Mike Kosicki is I think he's a better athlete than he is an actual football player. But with no Jason Witten, an offense is going to be a very good offense and throw the ball quite a bit. A quarterback who almost threw for 5,000 yards last year and and my projections is, is looking to staring down the barrel at 4,800 yards this year. There's going to be a certain amount of targets advocated in this offense for the tight end unit. Well, Blake Jarwin is going to probably get about 90 to 95% of that. There's no other tight end that really comes into play here when it comes to stealing away snaps and playtime from Blake Jarwin this season. So even though I'm not a huge fan, when you... Add up the fact that you're going to have Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott. You had the fact that Blake Jarwin does have good athletic ability, especially when it comes to stretching the seam on a defense. There's going to be games where he gets left wide open. There's going to be games where he just gets forgotten about. There's going to be games where he gets put on a slow linebacker out of a base defensive formation and is able to take advantage of those situations. Blake Jarwin, his ADP is tight end 23. I was shocked. Because this is a guy who's been a topic of conversation as far as sleeper tight ends go for most fantasy experts. So I was surprised to see his ADP was as low as it was. We have him ranked at tight end 15. So I'm still, I'm still telling you a tight end too. I'm still telling you more of a guy that I'd rather pick up throughout the season rather than draft. But if you wait all the way to the back end of your drafts, the difference between him and a Tyler Higby or him and an Ian Thomas or a TJ Hawkinson, I don't think is much of one. And I think you could very well make the argument that he has more upside than any of those guys, given the situation that he's in. I have him for about 62 receptions and 626 yards and about four to five touchdowns. I'm probably, I feel pretty good about that projection. I'm either... I feel like I'm probably on the lower side of what statistics he could be looking at. It's not going to be consistent week to week. That's why he's a tight end too. But 23, there's a certain allotment of volume that is just going to be staring down his way this season. Just because of the way the offense is run with Kellen Moore and the matchups he's going to have. Our third sleeper tight end. Kind of like Jay Sternberger at five. More of a guy that we're talking about from a Best ball tournament league standpoint, a deep sleeper, tight end premium sleeper, a guy you just want to take a shot on, and that's Trey Burton. Now, Jack Doyle did just come back from his hiatus of practices that he missed with his injury. But even before Jack Doyle went down, Frank Reich had been talking up this entire time about how they want to utilize Trey Burton as their tight end too, but utilize him more so as the main pass-catching tight end. 
we know that Phil Rivers will target his tight ends if given the opportunity to do so. And while obviously Trey Burton did not have the production that you would want him to have in Chicago Bears, he's going back to a system that he excelled in in the first place with Frank Reich back when the Philadelphia Eagle days. What got him paid in the first place. A quarterback who likes to throw it to the tight end and what should be a pretty good play-action offense throughout the season. And Jack Doyle, who has been injured more and more over the past few years and frankly isn't as athletic when it comes to getting open and catching the ball as a Trey Burton is. Now, is Trey Burton going to be the guy who plays the most snaps? No, 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 no. Is he going to be there who the, the block? No, 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 no. But they're going to utilize him. And we have him ranked tight end 35. And I do think I'm ranking him at his floor because it wouldn't surprise me if he wanted being the number one targeted tight end on this team. That winds up being the case. You're talking about Trey Burton from a streamer standpoint in redraft leagues. And like I said, best ball tournament leagues. You're talking about a guy you just spent your last pick on to give you some value there at the tight end position. He's in a position to get more work, get more production, I think people are realizing. I think they think Trey Burton just went to the Colts and he's just going to be the backup. And I see Jack Doyle as a guy who's a lot of sleeper for everybody. But after the injury that he's had, after what Frank Reich himself has been talking about in camp, the, those dots are not lining up. It's lining up more so that Trey Burton's going to be the guy who's the pass-catching tight end out of there. And outside of T.Y. Hilton, this is another team that I think is really looking to see who's really going to be their second pass catcher. I mean, you have Michael Pittman, you're excited about the rookie. You have Karis Campbell, you're excited about him going in his second year after having an injury-riddled rookie season. They're there, but they're not established. I mean, Paris Campbell really is just a glorified rookie wide receiver in his own right this way, and you have Michael Pittman, who is a rookie wide receiver. So outside of T.Y. Hilton, is it Naeem Hines is the third down specialist back? I think their second pass catcher is up for grabs too. And the other thing that I'll add with Trey Burton is I don't think they have, outside of Michael Pittman, I don't think they have a clear-cut guy to be a red zone target either. So there's just there's some upside there that I don't think people are really recognizing. Especially when it comes to those best ball tournament leagues. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Number two, Janu Smith. Janu Smith is one of my favorite tight ends this season. A guy who's always constantly getting overlooked. I'm not really sure why. He's as athletic as the rest of them. But he can also block. He's an all-around tight end. He's in an offense that, once again, doesn't really have a second trustworthy pass catcher outside of A.J. Brown. I mean, Corey Davis has been a bust. Called that one. Never was a fan of Corey Davis. Never understood why he went number five. Adam Humphreys, who cares? Plus, they don't really fit... I mean, Corey Davis does if he ever acted, got his act together. But Adam Humphreys doesn't really fit this offense. This isn't a three-receiver wide offense. It's a power-run football team. Play-action-based football team. RPO football team. That sets up for the tight end to do pretty well. Arthur Smith was their tight end's coach before he became their offensive coordinator last season. Janu Smith is in a situation to get a pretty good 
amount of volume. No Delaney Walker at all. Now, was there Delaney Walker most of last year? No, but there was one going into the offseason. This is his first offseason with the Tennessee Titans where he's going in knowing he's going to be the starter and preparing as such. That makes a difference with guys. So I love Janu Smith. I love, especially as a sleeper guy, he's our number 13 tight end, so I have him as a top-end tight end too, who I think really does have potential to to get into the top 10 this year. I think there's a really good chance that New Smith could get into the top 10 this year. It sets up for him. It's a perfect offense for him. It's a Renzo target. Not a lot of pass catchers who demand targets outside of A.J. Brown. Offensive coordinator was a tight ends coach. A lot of things are set up for Janu Smith to be pretty productive this season. So I like him a lot. You know, I have him for about 56 catches, 645 yards, five touchdowns, and that that might even be low. That might even be low. But that puts him in range of a lot of other guys there from Gronk at number 10, you know, all the way down to 15 with Blake Jarwin. A lot of those guys are about in that same range. So it's just a matter of which of those guys you think has the most potential. I think Gronk obviously has the most potential. That's why I put him as tight end 10. But if you want to compare Janu Smith to Tyler Higbee or Blake Jarwin or, or TJ Hawkinson or Mike Gesicki or, you know, or Hunter Henry even, I definitely think he has more potential than all those guys. Hunter Henry, given that I trust Janu Smith to, to stay healthy for a full 16-game season more so. Our number one sleeper tight end should come as no surprise to anybody who's been listening to this show throughout the summer, and that is Hayden Hurst. His ADP is tight end 13. We have him ranked at tight end 6, but his ADP is tight end 13. This has been the number one sleeper tight end talked about so much to the point where I don't know if he can really be considered a sleeper anymore, or at least I thought he couldn't be considered a sleeper anymore. Tight end 13. Why? Why is he why is his ADP so low? Why would he not be the tight end six? Whereas where we have him ranked? Just outside the top five. In fact, I don't have a huge difference between him and Darren Waller. The biggest difference I have Waller for a decent amount more yards, but touchdowns, targets, receptions? Have him about the same. I even have him edging out Darren Waller in the touchdown department by, by one. Why wouldn't he be six? Let's look at the territory. Evan Ingram, we all know the injury woes that he has. Hunter Henry, we've already documented that. Austin Hooper is not going to an offense that's going to have the kind of volume that it had with Atlanta, which is what Hayden Hurst is walking into. He might be a touchdown guy, but he's not going to get the yards and receptions that he was getting a season ago. Now with Stefanski and, and what we saw him do with Kyle Rudolph and Irv Smith, which they weren't much of a factor. Noah Fant. I like Noah Fant. There's a lot of weapons in Denver and not a good quarterback, though. There's a lot of things about Denver. you know, And that's, some, that's a team that we probably should talk about next week and kind of get into that because I haven't talked about them too much lately with all the weapons they have and what that can mean with Shermer and, and Drew Locke. But there's a lot of mouths to feed in Denver and a quarterback that isn't isn't trustworthy at best is not trustworthy with the ball accuracy wise Rob Gronkowski yeah I mean I love I love Gronk I think he's he's the guy who almost made my sleeper list but we don't know exactly what he's going to be until week one Jared Cook why isn't he hitting all those guys they all have significant question marks 
I know Hayden Hurst technically hasn't done it yet, and that could be the argument, I suppose. Although that doesn't seem to ever stop anybody from over-amplifying rookies, especially rookie running backs. But he has proven himself to be, at the very least, a good NFL-competent tight end since being drafted. We know he's a better athlete than Austin Hooper. We know his skill set fits his offense to a T and what they wanted out of Austin Hooper to a T. We know that they don't have a third wide receiver. Russell Gage isn't anything to be concerned about as far as target share goes over the middle of the field. We know this is going to be a high-scoring offense with a bad defense going to be in a lot of shootouts. We know there's going to be a high-volume passing attack. We know Hayden Hurst can block, so he's never going to come off the field. How is he not being taken in the top 10? At the very least, 13. What a steal he is. You are getting a guy that I guarantee you is going to finish in the top 8, have him ranked at 6, and you're going to be able to get him double-digit rounds. And I did not think that come this point in August, this point in the process, when Hayden Hurst has been getting hyped up when, when he's talked about, that you'd be able to get him at that kind of value at this time of the year, but you can. And he's the big reason why I'm not going for those mid-tier tight ends because if I know I can get Hayden Hurst in the 10th, 11th round, and I feel pretty good about his chances of being a top six guy, why waste the pick earlier than that? And I have no doubt that I'm going to be able to play him from every single week, so I'm not going to stream, so I don't have to waste another roster spot on a second tight end or worrying about having to stream tight ends. So Hayden Hurst is the guy for me, the guy that I plan on having in all of my tight end leagues, all of them, and have so far in the ones that I've drafted in. That wraps up the sleepers. We do have the mailbag segment. Before we get to that, though, I want to talk to you guys about one last sponsor for us called Trophy Smack. I actually just got one of my trophies there uh, for our leagues, and I, I cannot wait to show it off on our draft day. But you can commemorate your league winner in the best possible way. There's no other company in the business that does it better than Trophy Smack. They create trophies of all sizes, belts, and rings with a variety of colors, along with free engraving and free shipping. And now you can get a free ring with your purchase of a trophy or belt if you use the promo code BELLYUP. So click on our Trophy Smack link on Twitter or on Facebook or go to trophysmack.com and use the promo code BELLYUP on your order today. Now we got the mailbag segment again. If you didn't see us earlier, or if you didn't listen earlier, you can always contact us, 609-362-2480 for the MD Nation hotline. Leave a voicemail with your comment, your question, or even your rant. We'll get you on the show. Or if you just want to contact us at any given time of day really quickly, contact us on social media, whether it be Twitter or Facebook, at BellyUpMDFFShow. Or you can email the show directly, mdsfantasyfootball at gmail.com and if you do any one of those ways i will always be there for you to answer your questions to try to help you out with your leagues and i will select the ones that are my favorites to be on the show for the mailbag segment that's always open to you always 24 7 all all, all year long that's open to you pulled out three questions today because i knew this episode was going to go kind of long first question up alice from facebook she asked me clyde edwards hilaire alvin kamara or Dalvin Cook in a half-point PPR league, talking about drafting in the first round with her, I believe it's the fourth or fifth pick. 
Without getting on too much of a rant, uh, you can go ahead and scratch Clyde Edwards Hilaire off that list. I mean, come on. Really, guys? And this isn't directed towards Alice. Alice is, is a is representing a large group of people who are talking about this question in and of itself more and more. And I could talk to you about, you know, again, that how we have Alvin Kamara as our number two player overall in half-point BPR leagues and Dalvin Cook's our number five. But that's not really the point here with this question that really needs to be made. What needs to be made is Clyde Edwards-Dillard does not belong in the conversation of Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook in the first round. I don't care what scoring format it is. Can we all pump the brakes? Can we all get a reality check of the talent that we're talking about here? Alvin Kamara is a superstar talent. Dalvin Cook is a superstar talent. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is a solid talent. He doesn't have the explosiveness. He doesn't have the playmaking ability in the open field the way those other guys have. He doesn't have the body to be able to run 250 carries plus. I know that's something that Alvin Kamara hasn't done, but I, I don't think there's anybody out there who says he's not big enough to do it. He just hasn't done it. I hear the knock all the time why Alvin Kamara doesn't belong higher than Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley is because he's, well, it's a question if he's going to get 200 carries or not. Well, I tell you right now, Clyde Rizalera ain't sure as hell ain't getting 200 carries this season. Got him from 185, and I think that might even be on the high side, but that's probably a pretty solid guess where he's going to be. He's not going to get carry after carry after carry. He'll be heavily involved in the passing game. But is he going to get the goal line work? I don't know. They were talking about today, Darrell Williams has been the guy who's been getting first-team reps alongside with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire over DeAndre Washington. And I think that is significant because Darrell Williams has already managed to put himself in Andy Reid's eyes as a good guy to be able to go to in goal line situations. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire going to get goal line carries? Probably not. Probably not. So touchdowns, how many touchdowns he's going to be able to get is going to be a question mark. I still have questions about his pass blocking ability. I do kind of question sometimes, especially early on in the season, if he's always going to be out there in those situations. If he misses enough blocks or if he gets overpowered too often. He's still going to be the guy. I'm not making that argument. But second round pick, great value. Great value. Because he's going to be a solid guy who's going to be utilizing both the rushing and the receiving game on a very good offense. So you have great opportunity. Second round, all about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Does not belong in the same category of an Alvin Kamara or Dalvin Cook. Guys who are franchise running backs who can take it to the house at any given play, who are the focal point of their offenses. Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill. And then we start talking about Clyde Edwards Hilaire when it comes to the Kansas City Chiefs offense. Can we get a reality check, please? On Clyde Edwards Hilaire going in the first round. So to answer your question, Alice, uh, it's definitely Alvin Kamara for us because he's our number two guy. So if you're getting him with your fourth or fifth pick, I, I think you're getting him at a value, which has been the case most time because most people have Ezekiel Elliott and Saquon Barkley ahead of him. I don't. I think his involvement in the passing game, I think the fact that this year looks like a, a prime breakout year for Alvin Kamara and we haven't seen the best of him yet, all points to him being a top guy. And I'm not going to talk to him much more than that because I've had to talk about him in every single one of the mock draft episodes over the past couple of weeks too because we wound up taking him uh, with our pick. Next up, we got Greenfield from Twitter. He asked me in a full point PPR, would you go Todd Gurley or David 
Johnson. Now, for me, this is a no-brainer. It's Todd Gurley all the way. It's not, it's not even a question. But for a lot of people, it is. Here's what I'm going to say about David Johnson. He has to get fed the ball. Bill O'Brien has to, has to make David Johnson work. Has to. Because if he doesn't, if he's not giving him the ball consistently, if David Johnson comes out and just looks like a shell of himself, the scrutiny that Bill O'Brien has received over the trade for DeAndre over the trade for David Johnson with DeAndre Hopkins in the first place will be amplified by 10. And it'll be during the season making it more of a distraction. So David Johnson is going to get fed the ball like crazy to start this season. The problem is I think he is a shell of himself. Even in the beginning of the season last year, he looked like he had lost a step. When he came back, he looked like he didn't belong on the field. I don't know how you make that much of a rebound with a back injury that doesn't go away with a running back who frankly has been declining since 2016 anyway. So like last year, he was fine for fantasy purposes in the beginning of the year because he was just getting so much volume. That very well could wind up being the case again in the beginning of this year. He could be getting so much volume, especially when you talk about half-point, full-point PPR leagues between receiving and rushing, that he's just going to walk his way into fantasy points and being a solid fantasy running back. It's only a matter of time. It's a ticking clock. Duke Johnson is one of my favorite sleeper running backs to take one of my top handcuffs to must own because I think it's only a matter of time before David Johnson goes down or proves that he doesn't have it anymore. I don't think he has it anymore. Now, Todd Gurley on the flip side, a lot of people would argue to me that they believe Todd Gurley doesn't have it anymore. I would argue to them that they don't know how to watch film. That's what I would argue to them. I had an argument with somebody, uh, I believe it was last week, who tried telling me that Todd Gurley could no longer turn the corner. And I said, you base that on what? Well, he lost a step last year. And you base that on what? His production is inefficiency. I based that on an offense that was well documented as to not being the same offense that we've come accustomed to see. And an offensive line that's one of the worst in the NFL. Because if you watch tape, if you actually watch tape, and you see the situations in which Todd Gurley was given the opportunity to turn the corner with the ball in his hands, or you see the situations when he goes out there on a wheel route and has the opportunity to turn the corner on the wheel route before the ball is already thrown, he was able to do it. You look at the end of last year where the Rams said, the hell with everything, we're just going to give Todd Gurley the ball plus 20 times a game. And not only was he able to handle that amount of workload without being injured, without the knee being an issue, he got better as games would wear on, as the season wore on, when they were just giving him consistent work, when he was able to get into a rhythm. When he was presented the opportunity, he was able to turn those corners, meaning he still has the explosiveness he needs to be effective. Is he the same guy from two years ago? No, 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 he's not. If he was the same guy from two years ago, we would be talking about him and Christian McCaffrey, which one should be the RB1 if he was the same guy from two years ago. But he's not this, this, this decrepit shell of himself either. I, I, like I said, it's, it's people who don't know how to watch tape. That's what I have to argue with all the time. It drives me crazy. 
The offensive line of the Atlanta Falcons is a lot better than the Rams' offensive line. This isn't the same offensive, Atlanta offensive line from the past couple of seasons. They have young talent. They brought in a few new guys this offseason. Is injury a factor? Yes. Because these are guys that have to prove that they can actually stay healthy. But if they stay healthy, there's a decent amount of talent in this offensive line. That's a, that's a big reason why I think this Atlanta offense in general might just explode across the board between Julio and Calvin Ridley and Hayden Hurst and Matt Ryan and, and Todd Gurley. They all might go off this season. That's a big reason why. The other factor is Todd Gurley wasn't targeted in the passing game. The Rams didn't target the running backs in the passing game, period. No matter who was on the field. Which is very unlike Sean McVay. The Falcons always target the running back. They're always a part of the passing game. So if Todd Gurley, if his passing production just doubles, which wouldn't be hard to do from last season, and he was already high in RB2 because we know he has a nose for the end zone, and that's not going to change the Atlanta Falcons either, then why wouldn't he have a great opportunity to finish inside the top 10? He didn't miss any games last year due to his knee, so I don't want to hear that Oh, uh, well, he's not going to play a full 16-game season. You're basing that off of your own non-medical opinion. Because he played 15 out of 16 games and didn't miss one game in the knee last year. You're basing it on your own non-medical opinion if you're saying, I know he's not going to play 16 games this season. I know he's going to miss all these games due to his knee injury. No, it's your non-medical opinion that you're saying that with not basing it off of what we have actually seen or any kind of fact whatsoever. Because the fact is, he hasn't missed games since his ACL torn because of his knee. It was a quad bruise that he missed one game last season. Yeah, real concerned about the knee. So, in a long-winded way of saying, yes, definitely Todd Gurley over... David Johnson. That's going to wrap up the show for today, guys. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. We're going to be back next week, like I said, and to be determined what that's going, what those topics are going to be. Uh, probably sticking with something along the lines of making sure you guys are still uh, prepared for your drafts, because that will be the last week of drafts leading up into the regular season, which is only less than two weeks away. Cannot wait. NFL is right around the corner. Everybody in MD Nation, keep staying healthy, and we will see you all again real, real soon. Thank you for listening to Belly Up Sports, MD's fantasy football show. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 